you ready to join us for the time of your life? Seniors Association Kingston Region presents a radio show and podcast developed and presented by our members. I'm Don Amos, Executive Director for the Association. Time of Your Life explores how to live with purpose, providing a wealth of knowledge for our listeners on a variety of topics, from health to finance and everything in between. And of course, finding out about the latest leisure and recreation activities happening at the Seniors Association. Here is this week's edition of Time of Your Life. A generation or two ago, the practices around burial of human remains following death were well established in most communities and cultures, and the choices and options for individuals and families were limited. Not so in eastern Ontario and across Canada in the 21st century. The choices following death are increasing. Today, individuals and families are faced with decisions their grandparents couldn't have imagined. Time of Your Life's Elizabeth MacDonald explores some of the choices, options, and decisions with funeral director Colin Wartman, head of the family-run Wartman Funeral Home, which serves Kingston and Napanee. Colin, I understand that in recent years there's been a significant shift from traditional burial of a casket to cremation. Can you tell us what's behind this shift? Certainly, Elizabeth. Good morning, and thank you for having me on the show. Um... What's behind this shift is uh, humanity and, uh, you know, public uh, demand. I think people are kind of looking for something a little different from the old traditional family uh, funeral service that people have grown up with as far as their parents and grandparents are maybe looking for something that conforms more to a celebration of life. And uh, having uh, a body present in an urn after cremation tends to fit that need more for some people than having a casket and going with a burial-type service. And do you think it's made much of a difference that many of our families have spread out across the country, around the globe? We don't live in in one community. Uh, We're not connected to one cemetery the way earlier generations were. Certainly, that certainly plays into what people... uh, decide to to do if if, uh, cremation kind of gives that's one of the benefits of cremation it gives you a bit of a a longer timeline to to work with getting family back but also people have families have to be careful that they don't let that timeline accommodation let them procrastinate to the point where you know what it's getting too inconvenient to have some type of celebration of life or memorial service and nothing happens at all and that's kind of one area families have to be careful that they don't fall into. So So how has the process of cremation changed over the years? Um, The basic process of flame cremation hasn't changed a whole lot um, over the 40 years, I guess it's been here in the Kingston area. I kind of remember as a kid, you know, cremation coming in in the late 60s, early 70s here to to Kingston. Prior to that, we had to drive a body up to Ottawa for cremation. But as far as the actual process goes, the, the machinery has um, obviously evolved, more technology uh, and how the, the machines are set up, designed to operate, have evolved, but the basic mechanics hasn't changed at all with flame cremation. And what's the environmental impact? That any flame cremation um, cemetery or funeral home that runs a flame cremation retort has to meet certain Ontario environmental uh, regulations and to be licensed to operate. Um, I guess the main thing that um, we have found that 
people are concerned about is the carbon footprint of flame cremation versus earth burial versus alkaline hydrolysis or acclimation as we call it. So it just depends on the carbon footprint that uh, people want to leave in choosing the final form of disposition. Now, you've just named a newer option available to all of us, aquamation, mm -hmm. alkaline hydrolysis. Can you tell us what's involved in this process? Certainly. Um, I guess to explain that, Elizabeth, I you have to kind of talk about earth burial and flame cremation as well, because with earth burial, uh, after approximately 25 years, you're, you're still left with skeletal remains buried in the ground. Um, with flame cremation, uh, it's not like a fireplace. Uh, once uh, human remains are uh, flame cremated, at the end of the flame cremation process, the doors are open, and there's still skeletal remains sitting in that retort, which are processed down to fit into an urn. With acclimation or alkaline hydrolysis, uh, the body is placed in a stainless steel uh, pressure vessel. Water and potassium and salt are added into the vessel, and depending on the individual's body weight, anywhere between six hours to maybe uh, 12 hours, the process dissolves the human uh, body down to its uh, skeletal remains and an effluent, water-based effluent, which contains all the, um, uh, I guess you'd say peptides, amino acids, and sugars that our, our body is uh, composed of to its basic elements, and that is released to the wastewater management uh, system, but you're still left with the skeletal remains, which are processed down again and put in an urn. Okay, I want to ask you about those skeletal remains, but first of all, a couple of other questions come to mind. Again, we are all becoming a lot more environmentally conscious these days. Mm -hmm. So uh, can you say a bit about how much water is used and what happens to the water at the end of aquamation? Certainly, that was a long explanation to start with, but... Um, uh, Alkaline hydrolysis, two things, alkaline, which is um, the potassium and the salt combination, and water are part of the process. And hydrolysis takes place in the soil and natural earth burials. It takes place in our digestive system. It's called enzyme hydrolysis. So it's just part of the uh, biological breakdown of components. Um, in our case, we're talking about the human body. So depending on the body weight, dictates the amount of water uh, water that is used in the system and the amount of uh, potassium and salt. On average, the 150-pound body you would use about 65, pounds, um, 65 gallons of water and about uh, 10 uh, pounds of potassium and 10 pounds of salt and take about six hours. Mm -hmm. the and, then, and then with... Um the, with what's left, uh, the, the human tissues that have uh, decomposed, the water, the potassium, the salt, as that is, how is it returned back to, uh, uh, is it to the water system? Is it poured out on the ground? What happens to that? No, we don't pour it out on the ground. So it's uh, released to, um, the ministry um, has certain regulations and utilities. Kingston, every, any water uh, utility has certain regulations that any uh, body releasing their uh, effluent into has to meet. And so that revolves around temperature, uh, pH. And so uh, the machine is designed to meet those regulations, bring the effluent down to a certain temperature. 
and to bring the pH within the guidelines uh, specified by the utilities. And then that effluent is released to, to the wastewater treatment system where it was treated at the wastewater treatment plant and then with the rest of the uh, treated water released out to the environment. So in a nutshell, it's basic, uh, alkaline hydrolysis is basically a natural process that is happening in the earth and in our bodies, sped up, accelerated with the use of heat and uh, potassium and salt. Um, and at the end of the day, um, the result is treated. This is all sounding as if it is quite environmentally friendly. It, it has a lower impact on the environment than other forms of disposition. Uh, the main component being the less fossil fuel is being used to accelerate the process. So, um, yes, I, uh, hydrolysis takes place in the ground, but obviously it's in a, a very slow process of 25 years. Uh, we in accelerating it up to six to whatever hours, depending on the body weight, we're using heat and uh, chemicals, potassium and sodium, to speed that process up. So what happens to those of us, uh, those of us who have in our bodies some uh, extras like uh, a new hip, a new knee, maybe a pacemaker, a stint, uh, uh, what happens in, to those um, medical devices that, uh, that many, that many stuff, people... You Elizabeth? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're that old. But some of us do have some of those components, and then I just had a stent put in um, back in May, and I was kidding the doctor that uh, with alkaline hydrolysis, uh, these uh, external devices that are put in our body while we're alive are removed um, from the skeletal remains before they are processed down to fit into the urn and hips, uh, um, breast implants, uh, pacemakers are removed prior to the process. Uh, but any of those other implants, stents, you see the little stents, uh, stainless steel, they're all sitting there, and we just remove them by hand, and they're recycled, and then it's just the skeletal remains are placed in the processor to be placed into the urn. So are, is there any condition, um, any person who might have a particular disease or condition that's not a candidate for aquamation or, or even cremation? Certainly. We just had a couple families this past uh, month come to us looking for um, aquamation and one for flame cremation because we offer both here. And uh, unfortunately, anybody who's been treated with a, uh, an implant for uh, cancer treatment cannot be flame cremated or um, acclimated, uh, use alkaline hydrolysis. Their only option right at the moment is burial. But I do understand the government's looking at that and uh, considering changes to that legislation that would allow uh, to take into the half-life of these uh, seeds so that after a certain time they would be allowed to be flame cremated or acclimated. Mm -hmm. But right now that legislation is allowing only burial. So what about the individual who may uh, have lived with, may have suffered from a very serious disease? They die. Uh, they, they are acclimated. Mm -hmm. uh, does, does the process of acclimation destroy the disease? So the uh, World Health Organization has uh, done reviews on uh, papers that have been published as far as testing 
uh, of, of the effluent from alkaline hydrolysis as far as what it does to killing prions uh, that could be in uh, human remains. Uh, and they found that it does kill prions, uh, that there is no DNA or RNA left in the effluent to identify any particular individual. Uh, and um, the public health officer has done reviews, and uh, of Ontario has done reviews of the, the, the reports as well, and have agreed that um, high temperature alkaline hydrolysis in Ontario is, is safe. Mm-hmm. So... And that's why it's being approved and accepted, typically worldwide. The time of your life continues in a moment. What do you know about the Seniors Association Kingston? We are a nonprofit charitable organization specializing in recreation and leisure activities for today's active older adults. The association offers 250 programs designed for those 50-plus at four locations across Kingston. Check out our latest program guide and registration information at seniorskingston.ca. This is CFRC 101.9 FM which has been broadcasting since 1922, making us the longest-running campus-based broadcaster in the world. If you have just wandered into our airwaves, you are listening to The Time of Your Life, sponsored by the Seniors Association Kingston. Now back to the time of your life. This week, Elizabeth McDonald's guest is Colin Wartman of the family-run Wartman's Funeral Home, which serves Kingston and Napanee. I was struck earlier in our conversation when you said that at the end of flame-based cremation, what is left is skeletal remains, and that's what gets eventually put into an urn. Mm -hmm. We commonly use the expression ashes, I'm sensing that's perhaps not uh, the most accurate term. And I also am wondering, how, does, how do the remains from flame-based cremation compare to the remains from aquamation? Certainly. I think that's just, uh, calling the skeletal remains ashes is just kind of a generic thing, uh, term, I should say, that the public could kind of deal with and accept because uh, they're used to flame, fireplace, and ashes. So it's just something that the the um, industry could describe as skeletal remains, yet be acceptable to to the general public. So, um, so obviously, people who are, uh, like ourselves who offer acclamation uh, use the same term. Um, the Cremation Association of North America agrees that using Ashes as a, a description of acclimated remains is, is accurate. Um, other jurisdictions might have other terms, um, but it is skeletal remains that are reduced down and put into the urn. 
Now, I have had the opportunity to uh, to see and to feel right. the remains from flame-based cremation and to see and to feel the remains from water-based aquamation. And they don't seem, they didn't seem to me no, to be right. the same at all. They're not going to look exactly the same. With flame cremation, because it's fossil-based, uh, you're going to see a grayer, uh, component or tinge to the skeletal remains because you're, you're using fossil fuel in a burn process, so that residue is going to be in the skeletal remains. With acclimation, they typically come out with whiter calcium uh, unless there's been some treatments through cancer where you'll have some discoloration. Uh, and you'll tend to find you'll have a uh, bit more skeletal remains with acclimation because the finer bones aren't incinerated they're staying intact in, in the process. Now, I know with traditional burial, uh, there are many families and communities that have developed the traditions over the years of, of putting in with the remains a favorite um, memento, uh, mm-hmm. letters, yeah. maybe toss in some flowers. When we're talking, and well, let's ask, I'll ask about both flame-based and water-based. When sure. we're talking about cremation and aquamation, uh, is, it, is it even possible uh, before those processes to include things like letters or a favorite yep. toy or something Good like question. that? Good question. So with flame cremation, we typically ask families to bring in some clothes, Death isn't always pleasant. As my dad told me when I was getting into the business, soap and water are your best friends in this business, and that's because we dirty our pants when we pass away. So when somebody passes away and they're going to be flame cremated, we ask the family to bring in some clothes, give the body a bath, dress them, and put them into a, a cremation container for cremation. And uh, so any letters and things like that, people can kind of put in there. Um, We've got to caution people what they can put in because it's a uh, flame-based process, so things can explode. So we have to audit what people put in, and sometimes we have to suggest to families, instead of putting it in the cremation container, how about we keep it and put it in an urn? Or somebody forgets to put little Johnny's letter in with Grandpa in the cremation container, we can still add it to the urn afterwards. With alkaline hydrolysis, because it's such uh, an environmental and... uh, uh, biological process, we are going in our birthday suit. That's the way we're born, and that's the way we're going to leave this world with uh, alkaline hydrolysis. So obviously you can't put letters and uh, a Mickey or somebody's favorite baseball bat in, in that situation. Uh, we would incorporate that uh, with some discussion with the family to including it either in the urn or the urn vault, depending on kind of what option the family chooses with burial for the urn. Mm-hmm. We'll get into burial in just a moment, but I'm wondering, with all of this, uh, all of what you've already shared with us, how how do the two compare, flame-based cremation versus water-based aquamation? In some ways, they sound similar, and yet they're quite different. How does a family choose between the two? So obviously, there are similarities in in the end result that uh, you have skeletal remains in a urn, and that's why people kind of describe it as the end result being ashes because they see it in an urn. Um, the, the differences are, are obviously uh, the, the, the process, you know, one flame, one's using water. Uh, uh, w- 
environmental uh, carbon footprint imprint is typically the basis we find most families making the decision to choose acclimation over flame cremation. Firefighters like acclimation. People who don't like water aren't going to choose alkaline hydrolysis or, or acclimation. And so that's why we offer two. We can, depending on what your needs are and what you like, so we can offer either one and you can choose what you'd like. Much difference in terms of the cost? No, six of one, half a dozen the other. Yep, no, both same costs. Okay, let, let's talk about urns. Okay. Couple of couple of new developments. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the uh, biodegradable, the compostable urns that are now mm -hmm. yeah, available. There's a lot of uh, com uh, biodegradable urns available now. Typically, they're either paper mache based, or they might be a sand and kind of gluten based urn. And the idea that you can uh, bury these urns uh, and then over time the moisture in the soil is going to uh, break down the urn uh, into its basic uh, components and basically left with mostly the, uh, with the ashes left in the ground. Some are incorporating planting a tree with that type of uh, process as well. Um, so families are coming in and asking for those options and, and we discuss them with them. One thing we do caution families is if you're going to go with a biodegradable urn, it, it, these have a certain self, shelf life because they're, they're designed to react with humidity and, mm -hmm. and moisture and start to decompose. That's why they're called biodegradable. So if a family chooses that and decides to take it home and keep it at home, they don't stand up to the test of time in an, in an environment that's not where it's, it's designed to be used. So they're really designed for burial, burial. in pretty some, some short are, order. And some are designed to float in water, mm. absorb the water, and then sink. Right. So, so for those, those families who may not have decided yet what the long-term right. uh, destination is of, of an urn, uh, it's sounding as if biodegradable might not be the wisest choice. It depends on the timeline they're talking. You know, if they're talking six months to a year, you're probably okay with biodegradable type urns if you keep it in a dry environment. If you're talking longer than that, then we would probably suggest considering something else or waiting to purchase the urn until you decide, okay, we're going to go do the burial. Mm -hmm. What about scattering or burying ashes? I know that there is often a sentimental attachment to the backyard of the family home or the backyard of the family cottage. Uh, any, any words of wisdom for those who might be considering scattering ashes or anything to, anything to be mindful of? I don't know if they call my words of wisdom, but my experience, <laughs> experience. and suggestions, okay, would be, yes, we get lots of people who want to go back to the hunting camp and scatter ashes or at the family cottage or the favorite fishing hole. Um, and I guess um, you, you can certainly uh, do that, and even the provincial government has now allowed uh, scattering of uh, cremated remains, acclimated remains in certain designated provincial parks. You can't scatter on private property. You can scatter on your own property. But sometimes you have to be cautious. Uh, I under, hear and understand that some of the real estate uh, agreements have small print clauses that the state, there's no human remains buried on that house that's being sold. So if you bury, you know, 
grandmas or moms urn in back in their favorite flower bed that could influence on in how things go with the sale of a house. So our suggestion, typically the safest, is to have some family plot, bury ashes there. That's human remains. So whether they're in a, a casket to be buried or in an urn to be buried, that's typically what a cemetery is for, to inter human remains. You can do certainly do other things with it, but it brings in a lot more variables that uh, need to be considered. So you better do your homework. You better give research, it give it some thought, so that down the road you don't find yourself uh, right. caught unawares. Yeah, because there's a lot of people who are doing genealogy now. Look at all the uh, interest in ancestry DNA. Uh, and, you know, the only reason people can uh, research this is because historically our relatives have gone someplace, been buried someplace, and have monuments or uh, a paper trail as to where they are and what happened to them. There's going to be a big hole in a lot of our ancestry with all our ancestors that have been cremated and scattered and no uh, recognition as to their life lived from such and such a date to such and such a date and they're buried here. So much for us to consider and many options today, probably more options than our grandparents or great-grandparents could have imagined. Uh, And at the same time, we live in a culture that is afraid of death, isn't comfortable talking about death. Any final words, any thoughts you might have to families for for whom this might be a, a hard conversation to have with one another? Um, And yet, as you have so clearly described, there are choices to be made and decisions to be made when when a a death happens. Yeah, Uh, talking about death is probably harder than talking about birds and the bees. So, um, yeah, you know, it it comes up in certain uh, events in people's lives. And typically we see people kind of coming in when they've had something traumatic happen in their life, either with a relative, a sudden death, something like that, they start thinking about it. And, um, you know, it, the ten, trend today tends to be celebration of life, so I want to have a party. And, you know, having a party is just a different term for having a funeral. Um, you know, there's typically words of remembrance or words of a eulogy. So people want to talk about the individual, whether it's religious-based or non-religious-based, you know, that's a, I call that a funeral. Call it whatever you want. It's a celebration of life funeral. And I think that's important to have. Everybody needs it. Grandkids need it. Great-grandkids needs it. Spouses need it. Friends in the communi- and the community need it. And I think that's an important aspect and a strengthening aspect of our, our society and our community is that we recognize each and every individual in our family and in our community uh, at the time of a death. This is an important conversation, and we're going to end our conversation now, but the bigger conversation will continue and needs to continue. Colin, thank you so much. Thank you, Elizabeth. Speaking with Colin Wortman, Wortman Funeral Home. I'm Elizabeth McDonald for Time of Your Life. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.